Why don't you have a seat? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reality that is your kingdom. We walk by faith and not by sight. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. We ask, Holy Spirit, rest on us this morning. We welcome you. We welcome your voice in our life, Lord, your touch, even to places, Lord, where we are doubting and discouraged and anxious and afraid. We welcome you. Rest on us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Lead us. Be enthroned on our praise. God, we're mindful that we are sometimes only able to get out a ugh. But Lord, your spirit translates that for us. And God, right now, Jesus, you are interceding for us. You're praying perfect prayers. Lord, you know exactly what to ask for. And so, Lord, we just, we just say thank you, and, and we, want, uh, we want to know you, Lord. We miss you. We miss you. We know that you have a time set, but, Lord, in the meantime, we long to know what it is to walk with you in this in-between we pray that as we spend time in your word, that it would capture us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. So uh, honored to be together. Welcome, college students. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, I'm like, it's such, and just, I think most of you guys know this, but it's just such, it's like getting a blood transfusion. It's like, whoa, there we go. Oxygen. And not that we can't make it without you. We can, but man, we love it when you're here. We love it when you're here. It's just so beautiful and just hearing your voices sing and excited. This place of newness, seasons are coming, can kind of sense it. Although yesterday was confusing. It was like a... Didn't even want to be outside. Just very thick. Just thick. Um, Felt like I was back down south. So our uh, mothership is empty of children. We dropped off our youngest uh, at Wheaton College this about a week or so ago. So that's weird. That's weird and exciting and and weird. And so uh, we are trying to figure that out as, um, but, you know, we're calling it mothership, not the empty thing, because they're on mission and uh, we want them to return to the mothership and uh, come say, hey, but as I was thinking about today's passage and just this real in-between time, I was just thinking about what we're hearing, what we're listening to, what's out there, the podcast that you're listening to, the, the news headlines that have caught your attention, crazy stuff that's happening around the world, uh, the war that's ongoing in Ukraine. Um, just found myself this weekend too, praying for believers in Iran and China and just trying to imagine what it's like to be them today to where they can't just walk into a building and worship. Like it has to be secret and hidden. And 
the news that captures our attention and that causes us to move. And so today as we open up Revelation 14, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it or your, your phone or something. I want to see the warmth of God's Word on your face glowing from your phone. Um, I want you to think about the news, but I want you specifically to think about the good news of the gospel and to realize that it's, you're probably not going to hear about it in the news. Like the stuff that we read daily, that it's in our Twitter feeds and the stuff that you see on TikTok. And, you know, it's like, hey, did you hear that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we always do that. Did you hear that? Did you hear about so Yeah, I did read that. That's crazy. Whatever. I wonder what's true there. You're not going to hear the good news in your feed. It's not going to come through. It's not going to be headlining the paper. And I've actually started to realize this. Whenever it becomes mainstream, when Christianity becomes mainstream, the first time it became mainstream was in 400s. Constantine made it the official religion of Rome. Things go bad. Things go really bad. It, it tanks. It doesn't do well when it's in this minority place, in this narrow way, and persecution and difficult things happen. It thrives. And so there's a sweetness to this narrow way. There's a sweetness to the mystery, the beauty and the mystery to a joy in seeking and finding Jesus in difficulties, in trials, in doubts. I'm starting to get that. I'm starting to understand that. But there's this other part of me that's like, man, wouldn't it be great though to have it in the news? Wouldn't it be great to have everybody like celebrities? Because you know how we do that? It's like, oh, did you hear so-and-so basketball player or whatever? He's a, he's a Christian. That's awesome. That means we're like, we're really doing well when we get a Christian that's a celebrity but it doesn't work out. It doesn't go well. And I think it's becoming more difficult to be a follower of Jesus in the United States. And I think that's a good thing. I only think that because of the spirit of God. <laughs> I wouldn't say that in my flesh. I think it's a good thing that it's becoming more difficult. You may have heard some of the statistics, people not coming back to church after the pandemic. It's true. It's true. People leaving church. A lot of statistics saying it's declining. It's true. But I think it's a good thing. I know that's weird to say. I feel like the church is, is coming alive. I feel like God's using it. He's starting to wake people up. And sometimes it's just hearing the good news, which includes a lot of difficult things, which we're going to hear today. So quick recap. Even if you haven't been with us in the book of Revelation, you are not behind. You're right on time. God has something for you today. But just to give you a small recap, John... It's the John, the one that followed Jesus, that sat next to him on the night uh, he, before he was killed. He's on an island, but it's not for vacation. Did this get brighter in here? A little bit? I feel like I'm under the hot light. It's weird. Okay. He's on, he's on an island, but it's not for vacation. It's prison. And he's in prison because he's following Jesus. The people he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, but it's also writing to us. He loves them. He pastors them, but they're under tremendous pressure to give this whole thing up. You ever feel like that? Just giving it all up? I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. I'm not sure if I believe it. Because on the outside, Rome at this time is winning. It's, if, there's, if it's a game, it's the first quarter, and it's Rome 56, church zero. They're feeling it. And they're like, I don't know if I want to do this. And so these words are to tell them what's what, to tell them what's true. 
You may feel that when you look around at the world, you see some of those statistics. This one is messing with me, isn't it? Yes, it's you. It's that same one that's having a little problem that did a week or so ago. Wow, no, I shouldn't have looked at that. <laughs> so, Rome's winning. Seems like the world is winning a little bit. Difficult. And you may feel that. You may feel like, you know what? I'm not so sure. You could be here today kind of like this. Hmm, I'm going to see. I'm going to see. I don't know if this... It's good. So last couple of chapters before 14, we met the satanic trinity. I don't know if there, there was one, but there, oh, there was a satan. <laughs> it's uh, the dragon in chapter 12, which is Satan himself. The sea beast, which is, represents governments and politics and power. And the land beast, which represents worship of those things. Does any of that sound familiar in our day? Power, authority, money, government, politics, religion, all entwined and people saying, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. And then it turns out that it's not. Something's wrong. So that is the work of the enemy, by the way. Whenever the enemy tries to join it with the state, it does not go well. Just look at history. Just look at history. It doesn't go well. And so a lot of people want to give up. That time, and I would say even now, um, but there's this part of you that says, you know what? I can't. I just can't. There's this gnawing thing in me that wonders, what if it's true? What if Jesus is everything he says he is? So John wants to speak to that shred of hope. So Revelation chapter 14, we're just going to read the first five verses. Let's read together. I looked. And there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women. We're going to talk about that because it sounds kind of weird, but don't think literal, think spiritual. Since they remain virgins, these are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and the lamb. You've heard lamb here a bunch. This is Jesus, by the way. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So when you read the word of God, I highly encourage you to read the Bible, to spend time in it, to listen to the spirit. I read and I don't try to get everything at once. I don't try to have like, what's this mean? What's this mean? I listen for one thing. And so even on Sundays, you probably have figured that out if you've been here for a while. We don't try to say everything. We want you to dig. We want you to go after it, but you will get a perspective of whoever's teaching to say, here's how God hit me this week. And so this event, which I think is a news headline from the future, I do think that. I think you're getting, like, if there's a newsreel or, like, footage or something, there will be a moment when this will be reality. But it's also for now. What stood out to me was really interesting. There's music. There's music. Like you want to encourage the church who sees Rome so powerful, killing people left and right for following Jesus. Do you know that, the, that Rome at one time, just to show their might to the Jews, 
crucified 6,000 Jews at once. 6,000, just to say, this is what we'll do to you and your God. And so if you're going to encourage them, let's see a vision of Jesus, like, you know, like powerful and armies and weapons and let's show power. And instead, what do we get? Music, a song. And I want you to let, just think about that for a minute. Let that kind of sink in. There's music, there's singing, and where there's music and singing, there's dancing. David danced before the Lord, not only in worship, but I want you to think of it as a concept because we're not talking about real singing and music. We're talking about something spiritual, something deep, something that has to do with your life today. A song that nobody knows except for these people And I think there's dancing. I think there's eternal choreography that you are to dance with when you follow the Lamb. Following Jesus, I am convinced, has more to do with being caught up in the beauty and wonder of the song of the Lamb than it does with knowing all of the answers to the doctrinal questions. Caught up in the wonder of, not that you don't, you want to know those answers, but there's something that just sweeps you up in the beauty of God. But can we dance? That's a question. 1986, I was a freshman in high school, awkward freshman at Bearden High School. I was sitting in the lunchroom by myself. This girl came up. Her name was Tara Stoller. And Tara, if you're watching, I'm so sorry <laughs> for what you experienced with me. <laughs> it was one of those things where they could invite a boy to a dance. And so she asked me, do you want to go to the dance? And I was like, Oh no. And so I said yes, but then I ran home to my big sis and I said, I got invited to the dance by this girl named Tara. And she's like, That's awesome. I was like, No, it's not. I don't know how to dance. I've never danced. And she goes, I'll teach you kind of a cheat. She goes, You can just slow dance. And so I'd like with my sister. Just, you can just do this. That's all you got to do is back and forth. Don't, no, don't, don't like, no, don't. Just stay right here. <laughs> just stay right here. So I was like, okay. And so my plan at the dance was fast songs. No. I would say, I, I, I'm going to go over here and check on the water fountain or something. And slow dance. I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know how to do this. Let's, let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> and something happened to me as I was listening to the music of 1986. Something overcame me (laughs) that made me think I can dance. I actually know how. I know all of the moves. And I, I don't know if you can call it that, but I, I started letting loose. And by the look on Tara's face, something was wrong. (laughs) I wasn't deterred. My sister showed up late to the dance because I, you learn that later. You don't, you don't show up when it starts. You show up late. So she comes in with her date. I see her. And it was probably like from here to the corner of that room. And I had gray pants on. I remember what I was wearing. Penny loafers. Penny loafers that were kind of old. So they were like, you know when they get rubbed down and you're on a slick floor and you can like, <laughs> you can do a little sliding. And so I saw my sister and I told Tara, I was like, hang on. And I ran across all of the people dancing 
upperclassmen, everything. I saw my sister, and for the last seven feet, I went, (laughs) slid in, and I was like, hey! And she's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? I was like, it's okay. I can dance now. (laughs) I never spoke to Tara Stoller again. (laughs) So Tara, I'm so sorry. But I thought I could. I thought, I can do this. I can do this. So I thought about this. So you see where my mind goes when I read the Bible. It's crazy stuff. But I was thinking about music, and I was thinking about dancing, and I was thinking about, okay, am I just faking this thing? Am I, am I fake slow dancing a walk with Jesus? Do I really hear the music? Do I really know what he's called me to? Do I know the choreography that's from eternity? How about you? Can you hear the music? Do you know the song? Can you dance to it? Let's listen to some of the notes. The first one, Mount Zion. For sure, connected to a literal place in Israel called Jerusalem. But it has a bigger application. When you see Mount Zion in the Bible, it's not talking about you showing up in the Middle East someday. It's talking about God's city coming down to earth and being established here so you can live with him. And so John gets a vision of the city of God. And right in the middle of the city is the Lamb of God himself. It's Jesus. And if you have been at Pleasant Valley for a minute, you know that we have a Jesus problem around here. It's a good one. We can't help it. And I am willing to go down on the Jesus ship when it comes to this, because I see his name all over the book. And so we thought, you know what? We can't go wrong focusing on him. We say it even in our value type statements. We have something called grace anchors. First one, Jesus is the most important person in the room. Not just this room, your dorm room, your basement, late at night when you're by yourself and you're tempted on your phone. Most important person in the room. Jesus is center stage And he once again is a lamb. He's not dressed in armor. He's not this roaring lion with a sword swinging it and just destroying people. It's a lamb. You know this thing we celebrate, the cross? I don't think I really understood this. I knew like, okay, Jesus dies for my sins. That's important. But I didn't realize that what was also happening there, Jesus was, it was his coronation. I don't know if anybody watched King Charles. My mom actually tells me she remembers being a little girl and waking up early to watch the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. And so big deal over there. Lots of pomp and circumstance and money and people coming and just, wow, the city streets are filled. We have a new king. We have a new queen. Jesus is crowned king and Nobody's really around. But God says, yeah, that's what that was. I was crowning my king of the world. 
Psalm chapter 2. If you don't know Psalm chapter 2, I encourage you, open it up tonight before you go to bed. Read it because what it says is the governments of the world and the kings of the earth, they look up at heaven and they laugh at God. And they say, we have broken your bonds. We are not responsible to answer you. We don't care what you think anymore. We're doing our thing. We have our power, our money. We don't care. And it says God actually laughs back and says what? I have installed my king. Where? Mount Zion. I have a king. And he's standing there as the victorious lamb. God has won the victory, not with force, not with violence, but with sacrificial love. He's won through the cross. Colossians 2, 15, Jesus there publicly disarmed the rulers and authorities. He publicly disgraced them. He's crowned king on that cross. Who's with him? 144,000 are with him. Possibly a future remnant of ethnic Israel on the earth. Absolutely. We can hold on to that. I'm given that that's a, a legitimate interpretation. There could be a time in, in future, the last, last days before the Lord returns, where people on the earth, those who are diehard Jews, who are like, nope, not our Messiah, not our Messiah, not our Messiah. <gasps> He's our Messiah. Absolutely. That sounds just like God to do something like that. But... Most scholars would say about the 144,000 that they represent the people of God in all of history. So you can hold both. It's okay. The people of God in all of history, they're redeemed from the earth. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. It's us. John is getting a vision of the king of the earth and here are his people. This is what's true. And they're marked by God. His name on their foreheads, the chapters before, have said that those who follow the beast also have a mark. This is not a real mark. This is not, hey, I got a chip from Google. It's three Gs upside down, embedded under my skin, and now I can pay for things online. Like, that's not what it is, okay? But we have interpretations out there like that. This is a spiritual mark. This is DNA. This is spiritual DNA saying who you belong to. Those who have the mark of the beast belong to the beast. Those who have the mark of the Father and the Son belong to Him. Psalms 87, 5, God says, This one is mine, born in Zion. Born in Zion. I have my name on them. I love Ken Geyer's book, Moments with the Savior. If you're looking for a devotional to get started reading in God's Word, Ken Geyer, Moments with the Savior, he's talking about Genesis, the moment when Adam and Eve blow it for everybody. And it says that God saw them there naked in their shame and he made clothes for them. Probably know that part of the story. What Ken does, I love. He said, and sewn into the lining of the clothes is a label. And it says, made by Emmanuel. God with us. The promise sewn right into the clothes. These people are mine. How about the music? John says, it sounds like harps playing. I hear music like cascading water, rumbling and loud thunder, which we connect back to the early chapters of Revelation, which tells us this is the throne room. This is the voice of God. They're being led and tuned and controlled, honestly, because their soul is just coursing with the song of the Lamb. 
they've learned it. They've learned the song. I love that part because I feel like, and if you look, if you, like you looked up online, you can, you can hear me from four years ago. I'm different. Sometimes people tell me that. They come up and they're like, you know what? You've really grown. I'm like, that's mean. But it isn't. It's a compliment. I'll take it because I have. I have, and I want, to, I want to grow. I want to stay low. I want to keep learning about Jesus. I want to throw away the things that have been of me. And I want to grow. They learned the song. I'm learning the song. Are you? They move and are led by God in his ways. You ever had that moment when you get something stuck in your head and you're like, what is that song? What's that? I can't. You ever have that? And you like start doing it, like you ask your, your friend, you know, like, they're like, what are you doing? I don't know what, the, no, just us. Like, I, I don't know that song. What's that song? What's that song? There's a spiritual thing that happens because God put it in your heart. He put this song in your heart, the Made by Emmanuel song, the part that says you belong to him. Even if you're seriously broken by sin, he put this song in there and it runs underneath like this beautiful river, even with all the stuff that you're hearing out here, all of the other songs, all of the other stuff, it runs true to where you find yourself maybe in a moment of choosing sin. And the song is running right through the middle of you saying, don't, you're mine. I bought you with a price. I can't get this. What is that song? And I think I want you to hear Jesus saying, that's my song. That's my song. And your name's in it. And I love you. Listen to this song. Sing this song. Learn this song. Learn how to dance. They are also set apart. They are redeemed from humanity and the earth. That's also one of the reasons you might say that the 144,000 represent the people of God. That's, that's kingdom gospel language right there. Redeemed from humanity and the earth. And they're kept pure. It says they're kept from women. I don't want you to think about literal celibacy. I want you to think about spiritual celibacy. I belong to Jesus. That's why Babylon is described, we'll hear in the next section, described as something that's like luring you into sexual sin. Yes, it can include that. But we're those who actually believe sin is sin. And so you being slanderous or greedy or just a punk afterwards is just as much sin as sexual sin. And so this is big. This is like categorical spiritual symbolism of being faithful to God or faithful to the beast. They're set apart. They're God's first fruits. He has brought this forward. There's no lie. They're blameless in spirit and truth because of Jesus. And they follow him wherever he goes. And where has he gone? To the grave. Are we willing? Are we willing to go? So how will we respond? And so just, we're going to read the next verses, but I want you just to be thinking. Where am I in this narrative? Where am I standing? What marks are on my soul? Is everybody singing around me? And I, what? how come everybody knows this song but me? Is that you? Or have you been pursuing Babylon, but then there's been this beautiful melody playing deep in your heart that is calling to you and you're sensing the Lord say, sing it, sing it. 
Verse 6, I saw another angel flying high overhead with the, I want you to, this is the phrase. Remember I said there's always one thing that stands out for me? This was the one, the eternal gospel. Not just stuck in time in one spot, the eternal gospel. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Okay, there are other verses in the New Testament. Genesis chapter 3, the first promise of the gospel. Doesn't mean that's the first thought of the gospel, but the first promise. I will bring forth the seed of the woman to crush your head. Okay, right away, sewn into the lining. I'm going to do something about this. But the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, same language as the beast. The sea beast and land beast were using to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Contrasting, he spoke with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another, a second angel followed, saying, it has fallen. Babylon the great. When you hear Babylon, just think anything and everything anti-God, anything devoted to itself, to power, to you know, position, authority, money, anything that says, we don't listen to you anymore. Babylon is fallen. And I think John would have gone, really? Really? I think the churches would say that too. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality. So what I was saying before, it's a big category to cover a lot of things, which brings Wrath, another angel, third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image, receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Lord, if it's possible, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Just let that simmer while we read this. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. <clears throat> There's no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. John rightly understands when he hears the Spirit say, this calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Right, blessed are those are the dead who die in the Lord from now on." From now on is a nod to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. From now on, it's possible. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. So, those who are marked with the beast on their forehead or their hand. Before we go any farther, just, just do a little check here. Check your neighbor's forehead real quick. Make sure nothing written there that's troublesome. It's so ridiculous, but at the same time, though, there's so much out there to think about that. But it's, I do want you to think about the severity of that, though, of being spiritually marked. And to have your heart say, oh, this is a tough section of verses. So let's just uh, let the possibility of this scene, an angel flying around, taking place on a Friday night in Winona a week or two from now. Just let it fill your imagination. Maybe you're going to go to a game sometime this fall, football, soccer, 
You're going to do your thing, nachos, pizza, hot dog, whatever. You're up there. Just a little tiny bit of advice now that I've moved on from this part of my life. Don't be that parent. Just saying. It doesn't go well. And I always knew when I crossed the line because I would sense Lisa put her hand on my leg and she would say my name in a way that I don't like her to say my name. (laughs) It was this Chad. I was like, what? They're wrong. The ref is wrong. I'm pretty sure he's going to hell. Like, no, just kidding. (laughs) No, but I learned over the years, like it was super bad at the beginning. And it's like, tone down, tone down, tone. And just last year, just a little, just a little, a little yelling at the ref. Just a tiny bit. That's all. But don't be that parent. So let's say you're there and you're not being that parent and you have your hot dog and you're just watching and you're fired up. And then all of a sudden, the sky is lit up with a supernatural being speaking loud. The game stops. Everybody's, what is happening? And the words are, fear God and give him glory. Flies off, says all the other things. Do you think the game would continue? No, everybody would be running. What is going on? Did anybody look at that on film? Like, did anybody else see that? Is that? Could we see it across the whole world? What was happening? Remind me of 9-11 after that happened, even though I was in Tennessee. You know what everybody did on 9-11? We were watching this stuff on, happen on TV. We got on the phone and then no phones worked because the whole freaking world was trying to use their cell phones. Why? Who was I calling? Lisa. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, are you watching this? Why? Because we couldn't just go back to normal. So much stuff was happening in our hearts. We're feeling this. We need to feel this. We need to feel this. So it could be that the last, last days of our time on earth, there are angels flying around like this, making pronouncements and people are flipping out. For sure. We'll leave that. That is entirely the Lord's prerogative. But guess what? John saw it right then and wrote it down right then for the churches, which means it was written for us right now. And so we got to do something about it. We have to respond to the truth of this good news. And I go back to that phrase that stuck out to me, eternal gospel. What is the eternal gospel? It's the eternal gospel. There's a lot in this section. I invite you to spend time thinking about all the particulars, and we'll probably go into some of them in the podcast a little bit more, but I just want to focus on the eternal gospel for a minute. Reading a book called The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper, excellent book, and she notes two phrases, thin versus thick gospel. What is thin gospel? And let me just read it. We're taught the gospel this way. Jesus Christ, God loves us, but we're sinful. As a result, we're separated from God. Jesus died to pay the penalty. He rose again. All you have to do is believe and you're good. Golden ticket. Anybody heard that? I've heard that. I've, and a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I went forward at that one service and you know, I mean, now I live like hell, but I got my ticket, right? I got my ticket, and I think the Lord would say, no, (laughs) no. It needs to change your life. 
This is an imp- those facts are so important and they are so key. It is true. All of those things are true. But what I'm learning is that the eternal gospel starts with a king. And it starts with a king who is the king of the world. And he wants to make everything right. Can you think of things in the world right now that are not right? Can you think of relationships in your life, just yours, that aren't right, that seem they can't be fixed? Can you think of things that have happened where you would say, that was so wrong? The gospel says Jesus comes to fix all of it, that we're headed to new creation. We're headed to Mount Zion coming down out of heaven and joining back with earth. A fuller presentation tells the whole story. It's Jesus, his kingdom. He will prove true and everything else a lie. Babylon, though, is fallen? Really? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like Rome is winning. It seems like the world is winning. It seems like people can just shake their fists at you, God, and we, we come week after week to wonder if this is still true. Is it, Lord? John is getting a vision, and we are to believe it as well, that this is what is reality. This is the news that you pay attention to. Those who worship the beast and its image will be exposed and face the wrath of God. John 3.18 says, if we don't believe in Jesus, we're already condemned. Already condemned, just not when you don't believe. But those who believe are saved. Those who believe are his and belong to him. Psalm 75, just to use the imagery that John uses, there's a cup in the Lord's hand full of wine blended with spices and he pours from it. All the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it to the dregs. Metaphor, but metaphor for something very powerful, something that God will pour out on the earth this one phrase, the smoke of their torment goes up forever, is, a, is bothersome to people. It's bothersome to me. It's hard. There's a part of us that says, well, I, I don't like that. I don't like that they could be punished forever. There's actually, there's a whole group of people in Christianity that have solved this by saying, you know what? You don't follow Jesus. You don't want to live for him. When you die, you just poof, cease to exist. It's called annihilationism. It's just not in scripture. It's not there. This verse would be one of them. If you want to grow and get deeper and you want to become a member, we go through our articles of faith. Article number 10 says that we believe what scripture says, that there's eternal conscious punishment. You know it. You know what's happening. I love to quote C.S. Lewis when it comes to hell. Nobody's in hell that didn't choose to be there. Everybody that's in hell has decided for themselves, and it's God honoring that free will. So what do we do? Where is the good news in this? How is this the eternal gospel? First, turn to him, believe in Jesus, follow the lamb. He is true. But if you already know him, and I love this part, it says it calls for endurance. Endurance for what? Endurance for sharing the truth of the gospel of who he is, to, to tell others because there's still time to tell people Babylon is falling, it is fallen, but you must pursue him. Those who worship at that altar are marked by it. Eternal death and punishment is what's been there, but it's not happening yet. The possibility of following Jesus is still there. 
I love this. Uh, Daryl Johnson, Discipleship on the Edge, commentary in Revelation, says this. One of the major themes of Revelation is that when Babylon kills a disciple of Jesus, a lot of times some people in Babylon get saved. God uses those who give their lives for Christ. And then the people in Babylon say, you know what? I wonder if they really believe that. God has used that for centuries, people giving their life completely. At the end of this year, 2023, there will be 8 billion people on the planet. 8 billion. I think what the Lord would say is, let's go. Let's go. Let's tell them this news. Last few verses, verse 14. I looked, there was a white cloud and one like the son of man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, use your sickle and reap for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth. Obviously the metaphor, you can see the metaphor. It's not a real sickle, but you get it. This is a moment that everybody's going to face and the earth was harvested. These are people. These are people facing the day, the day of days. Verse 17, another angel who also had a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. And yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sickle. Use your sharp sickle, gather the cluster of grapes from the vineyard of the earth because its grapes have ripened. So the harvest of the earth, the harvest of the grapes. This is from Joel chapter three. Uh, Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the the grapes because the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. This is John pulling from the Old Testament. This is not new stuff. This is him just saying this is actually happening. 19, so the angels swung his sickle at the earth, gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth, threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Then the press was trampled outside the city and blood flowed out of the press all the way up to the horse's bridles for 180 miles. Ugh. This, on the surface, this seems like the trailer to a Scream movie. It's, it's really difficult. It's a very violent image. We've got a reaping, which means there is a reaper. And if you're wondering, is this? Yes. Revelation 14 is the source of the Grim Reaper. So any Scream movies, the Halloween costumes, all of that, Revelation 14, there's your source. All the good stuff comes from the Bible. All the stories where horror, it's, it's all right here. So this is the source it's also the source, Grapes of Wrath. Anybody had to read that in high school? John Steinbeck. Yeah, Revelation 14 and many other passages in Scripture captured people's minds. Why? Why do they care? Because this describes a pretty intense moment. It's death. It's everybody keeping this appointment with death. Many have been inspired or terrified by this chapter, which means we, have, we should pay attention. Uh, There's a movie, let me show you a a little screenshot from it. Anthony Hopkins in a movie called Meet Joe Black. And he's the super rich guy, has everything. Massive house, couple houses, private jets, helicopters, families. Okay, but some, some broken cracks here and there. And he gets a visit from death. 
It's Brad Pitt, which is weird, but <laughs> that just happens to be the body that death took over. But anyway, there's this moment, and it's, it's this moment. He's in the library, and he hears this voice, and he's standing there, and all it, all it says is, yes. And he's like, what? Yes. He's like, what's going on? Is this a joke? Who's, is somebody pulling a prank? Because it was his birthday. So he thought, oh, somebody's pulling a prank. And he said, who, who are you? And the voice said, I've been around for millenniums. And I've come to take you. But before I do, I'd like a tour <laughs> of your life. And Anthony Hopkins says, what? Take, take me where? Take me where? The voice again Yes. Yes, what? You know the question. Yes. And he's like, I don't know the question. What question? Yes. And finally, Anthony Hopkins says, am I going to die? Very powerful. Some hokey stuff in the movie here and there, but enough to get me going, wow. That's what we have here. In Revelation 14, this is the moment that every one of us will, it will happen. Yes, you are going to die. You will stand before the Lord. You will face his righteous rule and judgment. The son of man, Jesus himself, coming to gather those who belong to him. And an angel coming to bring judgment on those who do not belong to him. Now, you may ask if this, you know, readiness of the harvest is just for a future thing. Like, again, going with the future uh, interpretation of the passage. But I think we should ask right now, what, is, what am I supposed to do with this passage? The fact that the earth will be harvested. It's, it's a reminder for us to ask what response do you require of me, Jesus? Even if you know him, what response does this require of you? So there's a reaping, which means that there were seeds of the gospel that have gone out into the earth. They're still going out into the earth and they've landed on dirt, on hearts. And some of them, the, the ground was hard and nothing sprang up. Others, there was like a shallow, this could be you, a shallow bit of dirt. And it's like, wow, this is so exciting. And then the parable of the soils, ah, this is too hard. I don't like this. This doesn't go with my, what everybody's saying around me. Sin, riches, power, all that stuff. It's Babylon stuff. These are the things that steal away, but there are other seeds that did take root and they belong to Jesus. Now, some speculative futurists, when they interpret this passage, they actually say that this is really going to be Jesus coming and crushing people. And I'm like, man, I do not see that in the Bible. I do not see that in the Bible. I am more and more convinced of the nonviolent ways of Jesus. Do you know that the church didn't even talk about just war for the first 400 years of its existence? I didn't know that. It wasn't until like 380 that Augustine started writing about it. Up until that time, not a hint. They did this by speaking to people the gospel, by nonviolence, by humility, by listening, spreading the gospel. I think the Lord is calling us to 
hear his truth. Every human being that has ever lived will have a come to Jesus moment at the end of days. Every one of us. Some will be gathered to eternal joy in life with Jesus. Some will be gathered and entered into eternal condemnation. Now, that last part is one that gets pushed back. Sometimes it's compassion that does that. We're like, ah, but I have people that I love, and how could that be? But at the same time, it's true. It's what the Lord says. This, this is the choice, and it's your choice. He will honor our free will, the choice that we make. So, what's your takeaway? What's our takeaway about what these things mean? No matter what, judgment, apart from God, being whatever that's going to look like, however you would interpret the blood up to the bridles and the grapes of wrath, I think very symbolic, pointing to Old Testament imagery. But however you would interpret that, it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be bad. You don't want that to happen. You want to be with the Lord. And so how is this good news? So one verse and one commentator, only one commentator actually pointed this out, but I thought it was really beautiful. Uh, when you read that last section about the great winepress of God's wrath, verse 20 says, then the press was trampled outside the city and blood was everywhere. So much blood. Blood was everywhere. Outside the city, so much blood. Hebrews 13, verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the city. So why is this good news? Because it hasn't happened yet. There's still time. And I would say you pay attention to that song. <laughs> you listen to that song and you ask Jesus, what is the next step to move forward with you? Do you hear the song? Do you know the eternal gospel? Have you been marked by the loving hand of God. Are you ready for that appointment, that day, that come to Jesus moment? It's a day set for your time to be done here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, this is a, there are stark images in this passage, Lord, very difficult things to think through, um, but it's a reminder to us, Lord Jesus, that you have given us everything we need uh, in your life, death, and resurrection. And so, God, we thank you for uh, the truth of the wrath of God was poured out on you. And so, Lord, that is freely available to us today to accept, to believe, um, but, Lord, also to reject if we want to shake our fists at heaven. And, Lord, you will honor that, um, and you will honor that in the judgment. So Lord, we ask that uh, as we just sing this last song together, that you would stir in our hearts to be building our life on the foundation of Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, let's stand and sing.